Not only should Walters be your spot before and after every Nats game, but also Walters is an avenue for cheaper Nats tickets. When buying tickets to Nationals Park through the rest of the season, enter promo code WALTERS for 30% off. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. First pitch to Michael Tolia is hit in the air to left center field. This is blasted. Call going back to the warning track at the wall. He's out of room and it is gone. Down into the Rockies bullpen, a first pitch homer for Tolia, his second of the year. Makes the Rockies lead 4-1. to one. Three balls, no strikes to the pinch hitter Vargas. It's on the way, and it's low and away, ball four, and this game is tied. Here comes Chavis in from third to score as Vargas gets an RBI as a pinch hitter. Now the set, here's the pitch. Swing the ground ball right side toward the hole, bounces past the first baseman, and into right field, and a curly W's in the box. Tom Smith scores the winning run on a chopping base hit over the first baseman, Tolia, by C.J. Abrams. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, July 27th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The last two days for the Nats, talking about Tuesday and Wednesday, have been crazy, but they also have been successful and the Nats just had themselves a 5-1 and one homestand. Tuesday night, we had that 6-5 rain-delayed win over the National League worst Colorado Rockies at Nationals Park at a game in which the Nats overcame a 5-2 eighth-inning deficit. Also overcame two rain delays that totaled two hours and 16 minutes. That game ended shortly before midnight on Tuesday night slash Wednesday morning, about 12 hours before Game 3 of this series was to begin. The 12.05 scheduled first pitch for Game 3, which ended up being a 5 Four walk-off win over the Rockies in a game in which the Nats overcame a 4-1 ninth inning deficit. The Nats on Wednesday afternoon scored four runs in the bottom of the ninth, improved to 43-59, and three games ahead of the Rockies. And, you know, as our friend Bob Carpenter of Masson likes to say, the scrappy Nats, how about the nature of this four-run ninth inning? The four runs were scored on two singles, four walks, a bases-loaded hit-by-pitch, and an RBI ground out. <laughs> that was something, Mark. That was the epitome of manufacturing a big inning. The two hits, out were both ground ball singles <laughs> as well. So there was nothing close to loud contact in that inning. How often are you going to see a team score four runs to win the game and not even really make any kind of loud contact? Did the Nats win this game or did the Rockies lose it? I kind of feel like it's more 
of the latter. We can get into Bud Black's curious decision-making there and letting Daniel Bard stay out there to suffer through that. But you're the hitting team in that situation. You've got a pitcher who clearly cannot find the strike zone. You still have to do your job, and they did. Really, with the exception of, I'm going to say, one at bat in that inning, everybody had a good approach and understood the situation. Force him to throw you strikes until he does. You don't have to swing. They took full advantage of it and somehow came out of that with a win. I mean, for eight innings, watching that game, I'm thinking there is nothing to talk about from this game. This was a blah game as much as they get. They did nothing offensively. And then somehow in the bottom of the night, they found a way and they pulled it off and good for them. Just a crazy game. I mean, the Nats on Wednesday afternoon scored five runs on five hits, all of which were singles. The Nats did work five walks, did go two for seven with runners in scoring position. But there's no doubt. I mean, this was such an odd series in that you almost have to remind yourself the Nats won two of the three games for so much of this series. It didn't feel like the Nats were doing well, were playing well, but they mount these two comebacks within what, a, a 15, 16 hour period, whatever it ends up being. And all of a sudden you find yourself, hey, you won the series and you had this five and one homestand. I mean, legitimately one of the best homestands <laughs> that the team has had in a few years. You know, you mentioned Bud Black and what happened with Daniel Bard. I mean, it's impossible as an Nats fan, right, to hear the name Bud Black and not think about what could have been, right? I mean, that was the guy who the Nats wanted as their manager in the 2015-2016 offseason until negotiations broke down. What was Bud Black thinking here? This guy, Daniel Bard, you talk about not having it. Bard in that bottom of the ninth was charged with four runs in two-thirds of an inning. He issued four walks, one of which, yes, was intentional. He issued a bases-loaded hit-by-pitch. He gave up a single. But how about this? He threw 24 pitches, eight strikes versus 16 balls. And he was left out there to just, like, get filleted in that inning. Yeah. So for those who don't know the background, Daniel Bard's been through a lot in his career. Control issues go way back a ways. And he actually ended his playing career, what, almost a decade ago and started working for teams as like a mental skills coach. And then after all that, he decided to give it a try to come back, and he made it back. He was the nationally comeback player of the year a few years ago. He also took some time off this year you know, for mental health issues. So this is somebody who has been through a lot. And what I would be curious, and I don't know what Bud Black said about it after the fact, but Part of me, as I'm watching that all play out, I'm thinking, how can you leave him out there? How can you do this to him, given his history? The other part of me is thinking, maybe Bud Black believes at this point for that team against this team in a game in late July that really doesn't have any bearing on the standings, it's more important to give this guy a chance to try to find it. If somehow Daniel Bard gets out of that game and they win, maybe that does more for him and the possibility of blowing it the way they did or pulling him from that game and not giving him a chance to finish it would have been worse for him. I don't know the relationship there. I don't know you know, for sure what they're thinking there. All I know is it was tough to watch. I mean, yes, you're excited. The Nats rallied. They won the game. But that was about as tough of a way to watch your team come from behind to win a game because it really came at the expense of an opposing pitcher who had no command of anything. And we were watching it all melt down in front of our eyes. Yeah. If you watch the game as Bard was taken out of the game, he let out this like primal scream and you could see like all of the pain and anguish like exiting his body as he was, you know, unleashing what he was feeling 
in that moment. I mean, we also don't know about, you know, reliever usage for the Rockies, who may have been up, who may have been down, who may have been used a lot lately. So whatever the case, give the Nats credit. And, you know, it's so funny. I mean, you have this four run ninth inning. There actually aren't that many heroes for the Nats in this game. It's not like, you know, multiple people had big games, you know, did big things in the latter innings. But there was what ended up being the biggest hit of the game. And it was by the man who has been on fire here uh, for about a month now, C.J. Abrams. He came through with the walk-off hit. Abrams, a walk-off, two-out, bases-loaded RBI single through the right side of the infield for the 5-4 Nats win. He, in this game, went one for four with that walk-off RBI single, also drew a walk. C.J. Abrams now, in this month of July, has an on-base percentage of 386 and a slugging percentage of 550. And maybe this captures where Abrams is at as much as anything. I know for me watching this game, I'm sure I was not alone. I said to myself, Abrams is going to end the game right here. It's like you had that feeling that with the way he's going, with where he's at, he's going to come through. A month ago, two months ago, I would have had the exact opposite feeling. This guy was almost an automatic out for the longest time. And now it feels like he can't make out. And now you feel like in a big spot like that, he will come through. And sure enough, he did come through. Yeah, he is the one you wanted up in that situation, right? And you also felt confident that he was going to work the count. He wasn't just going to flail away the first pitch and pop up or hit a ground ball in the first pitch, which again, a month ago, you probably are thinking that for him. So we're seeing the growth before our eyes now of what he has become. Now, it's a chopper that happens to get through. And and if it's hit a few inches one way or the other, maybe that's not the case. They go to extra innings and we're saying, well, he didn't come through in the clutch, but it's still in the bigger picture. You can see the better quality at bats, the better contact he's making, the confidence that he's playing with. You can see it from afar. He is a different guy out there over the last month, and it's really been a joy to watch. We've talked about the significance of that in the long run. It's one month, so that's great. You need to see this more than that, but it does feel like a young player coming into his own and somebody realizing his full potential. This doesn't feel like somebody who is uh, playing out of his mind and that's a fluke and that's never going to happen again. This is who he's supposed to be and he's realizing his full potential. And yeah, you still need to see it over the rest of the season and going into next season and all that. But I have more optimism about that being the case than somebody else who just had a red hot month who had never really done this before and wasn't ever expected to do that before. Yeah, I think that is the difference is that you don't have to stretch too far to say, this isn't just some fluke. It's a guy who's supposed to be good becoming good. You know, like it would be different if, you know, a veteran player was doing this. You say, all right, that's nice. But what does it really mean? Like this is no, he's young. It's taking some time, but, you know, not that much time. I mean, you know, you always have to kind of remind yourself like he hasn't been in the majors for that long. And it feels like, you know, this guy is blossoming. So really good to see him get that walk off hit. I mean, you know, I always come back to this. It's like, I think what he does matters as much, if not more, than what any other Nats player does the rest of this season. And so if you had to pick a Nats player to have the walk-off hit in this game, I think that's like the guy you would pick. Like, you know, you want him to be the guy continually who keeps coming through. And, you know, with the Nats, it's so funny to me because they've had this penchant this season of in lopsided losses, scoring these meaningless runs in ninth innings. And you say, all right, who cares? So like a 10-4 loss ends up being a 10-6 loss. Like, really, what's the big deal? But of course, that can have value. And of course, like you don't know in the moment whether you're going to actually end up coming back or not. And so they have done this now. You know, they've scored some ninth inning runs this season. 
They do have an ability to do this. I know the Rockies are awful, and they are. I mean, the Rockies were not impressive in this series. A lot of bad defense, a lot of sloppiness, a lot of errors from the Rockies in this series. And obviously, you know, the bullpen meltdown on Wednesday afternoon. But, you know, there is something about the Nats to where in a season in which I think a lot of people would understand or at least not be shocked by the team giving up late in games. And I think we have seen that at times. We also, though, have seen this team do some things in the later innings of games. And we obviously saw that in these last two games of this series. I mean, that game on Tuesday night, I mean, you talk about a nothing atmosphere at Nationals Park, right? The two plus hours in rain delays, nobody's in the ballpark. You're facing this wretched team in the Rockies. Like if the Nats had just tapped out on the game, I don't think anyone would have complained that much. And yet, no, the Nats battled back and won and then did the same thing in this sleepy game on Wednesday afternoon. You can even go back to Monday's series opener, which they did lose, but they scored a bunch of runs late. They just gave up a bunch of runs. So they never really... We're all the way back in it. In that series, this is crazy. Innings one through six in this series, they scored a grand total of two runs and they were both unearned. In innings seven through nine, they scored 15 runs. Okay. Now, is that some of that the Rockies bullpen? Yeah, but it is what you're talking about there. And this has been a trait that extends back really as long as Davey Martinez has been manager, almost regardless of who has been on the roster at the time. They don't quit on him. And we've talked about what that says as a reflection of their manager. And there are plenty of things about Davey Martinez as a manager that you can say that find ways to criticize him. And you're not wrong for some of those criticisms. But it's pretty hard six years in not to acknowledge that his teams play hard for him. They don't give up. Even when they're undermanned, even when they're well out of a race, they do this kind of thing where you know they bring the time run to the plate, the boys battle. And the last two nights, they've taken a step beyond that and actually won the game. So yes, credit to them for that. And I do believe it's a reflection of their manager. I've been saying it for several years now. This is not an isolated incident. This has been going on since 2018, certainly since 2019. And think about how different those teams were versus the team they have right now. Here's something that I find interesting about the Nats this season. So the Nats for the season now have totaled 441 runs. 102 of the 441 runs have been first inning or ninth inning runs. So we know that the Nats do a lot of damage in the first innings of games. We've talked about that. Like Lane Thomas's OPS in the first innings of games this season is to the moon. But also is this thing of the Nats scoring runs in ninth innings. And understand, you don't have a ninth inning to bat in every game, right? The Nats have played 102 games. There have not been 102 ninth innings for the Nats to try to accumulate runs this season. But 102 of the Nats' 441 runs this year are first inning or ninth inning runs. 23.1%, basically a quarter of the run production from this team this season has come in the first innings or ninth innings of games. That's odd. I mean, this is not a team that does much in the middle innings of games. We've seen that. But for whatever reason, at the very beginning and the very end, this team can inflict some damage. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that other than, you know, first inning, they've been good, top of the line. Usually their top three or four hitters have been pretty good. The ninth anything, now let, let's remember, was it last year they didn't have a walk-off win until September, I think it was? So that was actually not a characteristic. They would battle. They would put themselves in a position to try to come back, but they couldn't complete it. We have seen this happen with more regularity this year. That's a good sign of some growth from them in putting themselves in that spot and then finishing the job. They've been better in extra innings this year. Remember, they were awful in extra innings the last couple of years. They haven't played that many this year, but they have a winning record in extra innings. So yeah, there there is some progress there. And you said earlier, 
kind of one of those things in the back of your mind. You do it a few times and you remember that you've done it before and it maybe helps a little bit. And I thought Kevin Franzen made a great point on the broadcast in that ninth inning as they've got the bases loaded there. And I remember Ryan Zimmerman always said this, right? I just remember how great he was in those walk-off situations. The pressure's on the pitcher. It's not on the hitter in that spot. He's the guy who has to get out of whatever kind of jam this is. He has to make the right pitch and get the out. You as a hitter are not expected to come through in that spot. So think of it that way. And for the most part, they took the right approach in that ninth inning, I think, and they put the pressure on Daniel Bard. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfas has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Are you looking for tickets to an upcoming event? That's why you should download the GameTime app. Create an account and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. You get cheaper tickets and it helps the podcast a bit. Sounds like a smooth 643 double play. Again, create an account and redeem the code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Terms apply. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Summer is here. The heat, the humidity, forcing your air conditioning unit into overdrive, leading to energy bills that are higher than James Wood's potential. <laughs> the solution, new windows from my friends at Window Nation, which is offering a great deal. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Protect your home and increase the value of your home with great new windows from Window Nation, which does windows right. You know, the average installer from Window Nation has over 16 years of experience with over 20 thousand windows installed no money down no payments and no interest for two years plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com that's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and make sure that you tell window nation that al galdi sent you we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One, two on the way to Doyle. Swing and a miss. He struck him out with a curveball. So Irvin finishes with three straight. Well, the Nats starting pitcher for this 5-4 walk-off win over the Rockies on Wednesday afternoon was Jake Irvin. So his final line was four runs in six innings. He did give up three home runs. He did issue two walks and a balk. I mean, you certainly cannot sit here and say that this was some stellar outing. I I will, though, note a few things. So he only gave up three other hits, a double and two singles. He also had seven strikeouts, and he did throw a lot of strikes, 105 pitches, 70 strikes versus 35 balls. So, you know, I don't want to, like sit here and throw a parade for the guy. I mean, again, four runs, six innings, gave up three homers. But, you know, to eat up the six innings, to have seven strikeouts, to have a strikes to balls ratio of two to one, as outings from young starting pitchers go, you know, I always like it to when you can point to some positives from the outing. And I thought that you did have that from Irvin in this game. As far as the three homers go, top of the second, he gave up a one-out two-run homer by Alaurice Montero to left field for a 2-0 Rockies lead. Top of the third, a Jake Irvin pitch got slaughtered by Ryan McMahon, a one-out solo homer by McMahon to the second deck in right center field for a 3-0 Rockies lead, 441 feet per stat cast. And then Irvin in the top of the sixth gave up a leadoff first pitch, opposite field home run by Michael Tolia to left center for a 4-1 Rockies lead. What'd you think of Jake Irvin in this game? I thought it was very similar to the other two starts in this series. Patrick Corbin, Trevor Williams, Jake Irvin, all kind of the same deal where you look at the line and say it wasn't very good. They all gave up four more runs. The three homers obviously are troubling. But at the same time, in each case, you could say, well, they got them through six innings and they at least kind of gave them a chance. And there were moments within it that they pitched well and in some cases got better as the start went on and a start that at times looked like it might completely implode on them, they didn't let that happen. So not good starts, no, but I guess effective enough. And let's give Jake Irvin some credit here. He's giving them length now as a rookie, 111 pitches in that previous start. This one tops 100, gets through the sixth inning. That's not something I really expected from a rookie who was not a top prospect and who they're watching his workload this year, and he's shown an ability to actually go deeper in games than some far more experienced pitchers they have on their staff. More strikes than you know Mackenzie Gore and Josiah Gray, who routinely are maybe only going five or six because their pitch counts get high. That's a nice trait to have. If he can just refine some things here, Jake Irvin has the makings of a potentially good major league pitcher for somebody who none of us are really talking about coming into the year or certainly not expecting him to become a, a mainstay the way that he has. Yeah, Irvin's last outing was uh, this past Friday night, 5-3 win over the San Francisco Giants at Nationals Park. Irvin in that game, three runs, six and two-thirds innings, nine strikeouts versus one walk. And Mark referenced the pitch count, 111 pitches, 75 strikes versus 
36 balls. Since he had his turn in the rotation skipped, he's only had really the one truly bad outing, that 9-6 loss at the St. Louis Cardinals on July 15th. Irving in that game, four runs in three innings. It's not that he has been great in every outing, but you've had at least something to sort of cling to in each outing. And in some outings, He's actually been pretty good. And, you know, to spin this forward, I mean, you think about the Nats rotation for next season. You think about, all right, Mackenzie Gore, Josiah Gray, hopefully Cade Cavalli, if he's healthy, potentially Jackson Rutledge, maybe Jake Irvin. With Patrick Corbin and Trevor Williams, both guys are set to be under contract for next season. You know, we'll see if either guy gets dealt come the trade deadline, maybe not. But it could be that the Nats, for the first time in a long time, have enough young, promising young starters to where they don't have to have, say, Corbin in the rotation or have to have a Trevor Williams in the rotation. Now, you know, we know how it goes. Guys get hurt. You know, you you have this perfect plan for rotation and then things go awry. But like you, in theory, could have five young, promising starting pitchers making up the Nats rotation next season. And if nothing else, even in a best case scenario, that gives you some depth. So even if Corbin and Williams are still part of the rotation, you've got other guys waiting in the wings who can take over at some point, and you're not forced to call upon Aaron Sanchez's of the world or like a, a Yoan Adone who really isn't ready for it. Let's see with Rutledge how that pans out. We, Cole Henry could be in the mix for that as well. I know he had a rough outing the other night at Double uh, A, but for the most part, it's been a successful return for him from thoracic outlet syndrome. So. There is a depth there of starting pitching they have not had in a very long time, and it also affords you injuries and somebody not panning out for whatever reason. Like We all hope that Cade Cavalli, number one, is healthy, and number two, is the frontline starter that he's supposed to be, and there's plenty of time for that to still happen. But if it doesn't, they do have some other in-house options that don't make you cringe, that make you say, okay, that is somebody who I'd like to see. I think Jake Irvin quietly is one of the biggest developments this season as somebody who you heard a little bit about him in the organization, but was never talked about in in terms of somebody who, hey, he's going to make 25 starts for them this year and actually look at give me a piece for the future. That's a tremendous win for the organization. We keep talking about how it's not just the first round picks that they haven't had pan out. It's all the later round picks who don't even make it as just reliable big league players. Jake Irvin, long way to go, but for now, could be one of those rare success stories for them as an organization. So we in this walk-off win over the Rockies on Wednesday afternoon had C.J. Abrams with the walk-off hit. We had Jake Irvin doing some good things as a starting pitcher. But the truth is, the uh, player of the game may well have been the three relievers uh, who pitched for the Nats in this game. Three Nats relievers on Wednesday afternoon combined for three perfect innings with three strikeouts and helped to make the comeback possible. You know, it's a weird deal with this Nats bullpen. Nobody feels great about it. And yet, in the three-game sweep of the Giants, the bullpen was good. And in two of the three games in this series win over the Rockies, the bullpen was good. The only real recent bad game for the bullpen was that 10-6 loss to the Rockies this past Monday night. Two Nats relievers in that game, Rico Garcia and Corey Abbott, combined officially to allow four runs in two and two-thirds innings. But in this game on Wednesday afternoon, you had Jordan Weems tossing one and a third perfect innings. Uh, you had Joe LaSorsa facing two batters and getting two outs. And you had the returning Andres Machado tossing a perfect top of the ninth with a couple of strikeouts. So the Nats on Wednesday morning selected the contract of Machado from AAA Rochester and optioned reliever Amos Willingham to Rochester. And to make room for Machado on the 40-band roster, the Nats did transfer Victor Robles to the 60-day injured list. I want to get to that with you momentarily. 
But, you know, look, the Rockies are bad. Nobody feels great about this Nats bullpen. But I think you got to give credit where credit's due. Five of the six games on this homestand, the bullpen did a nice job. Yeah, and that was on the heels of, remember, the Wrigley Field series where it was a disaster. And you thought, how are they ever going to close out a game again with these guys they have? So, yeah, props to them. This was a good example of, as much as we talk about, oh, the B bullpen or the guys you bring in when you're trailing and those aren't high leverage spots. No, you know what? Those can be just as important. In a game that you're trailing, not by a huge margin, but you are trailing, you put up zeros, you're at least giving your team a chance to come back. And what Weems, Lasorsa, and Machado did was exactly that. Don't let a four-run deficit balloon into something worse. Keep it there. Put up zeros. Get back in the dugout. They all threw strikes. I mean, Machado, 9 of 11 pitches for strikes. Lasorsa, 5 of 7 for strikes. Weems goes multiple innings. You know, long run, who knows if any of them are going to become consistently reliable. But I, I thought this was a good reminder of even a game that you're losing, even when you're not using your top high leverage guys, those can still be important innings. You put up zeros, you're at least giving your team a chance. You're not letting things get worse and now not giving your your teammates a reason to stay engaged in the eighth and ninth innings. And with relievers, they are so fickle. Their performances in so many ways are so random. Even if you don't feel great about your bullpen or even if you look at a reliever and you can you know, pick a million flaws, it still could be that the guy ends up pitching well for you. It still could be that the bullpen ends up having a nice run for you. Like it doesn't have to be that because the bullpen on paper doesn't look good, the bullpen ends up being poor. We see all of the time guys who don't have track records, guys who aren't supposed to be good relievers end up doing pretty well, sometimes even very well. I mean, to me, the ultimate example is Matt Albers in 2017 for the Nats. But, you know, like a guy like Erasmo Ramirez last year ends up being really good as a reliever for the team. Like, you just never know with these people. So, you know, maybe it could be that over the final few months, you know, some of these guys who we're seeing now end up being all right. We'll see. I mean, you know, again, nobody has great confidence in this bullpen, but five of the last six games, the bullpen has done a good job. So this Victor Robles item from Wednesday, He's been transferred to the 60-day injured list, and this stands out for multiple reasons. Number one, it was just a few days ago that I know Robles came into the clubhouse and actually expressed optimism regarding the situation with his back. The situation is as follows, and that's on June 21st, put Robles on the 10-day injured list with back spasms in the lumbar spine. He had been on the 10-day IL May 8th, uh, retroactive to May 7th to June 16th due to back spasms. And he now has been transferred to the 60-day IL. So, you know, optimism or not, the earliest that he could be back playing for the Nats would be in late August. What did you think about this uh, transferring of Robles to the 60-day injured list? It was, I think, the most notable part of the all the transactions there because it is confirming that he's going to be out not quite another month, but close to another month at least. Now, I'm not shocked necessarily. I think we've seen the signs here that this isn't something that they're going to rush him back. Remember, they did bring him back the first time and he lasted, what, five games before he went back on the IL. And you've heard David Martinez say uh, how careful they're going to have to be here and they aren't going to force the issue. You know, Victor can say that he's feeling well, that's fine, but he still hasn't done any baseball activities and we're more than a month into this IL stint. So, I'm not shocked by that. I guess maybe in the back of my mind, I thought, eh, maybe there's a chance by mid-August he's ready. Well, now it's going to be at least August 21st or so before he comes back. The concern there, I think, in the bigger picture is this. Victor Robles was having a good season. 
at the plate in particular before the injury happens. By the time he comes back, we're talking about the final month to you know five, six weeks of the season. Can he recapture whatever he was doing earlier in the year? But secondly, is there enough time for him to make enough of a statement there that they say, yes, you can still be a part of this moving forward? This was a big year for him to try to reestablish himself. And while he has done that when he's been on the field, the problem is now he just hasn't been on the field enough for that. We know James Wood and Dylan Cruz are on their way. Whether it happens before the end of this year or sometime next year, they are on the way. They both could be center fielders. Robert Hassel III could be a center fielder. Victor Robles, it's a weird contract. They actually signed him. It's like one with an option, even though he's not eligible for free agency yet. So the Nats have the decision whether to bring him back or not next year. He's already under contract if they bring him back. I'm not saying they won't do that because maybe come opening day next year, they still aren't ready to promote the kids. But the time is running out for Victor Robles to actually earn his way back into their good graces and be a part of this moving forward. He's done the job when he's been on the field. The problem is he just hasn't been on the field enough. And now there's not a lot of time for him to get back on the field by the time he comes off the IL. Yeah, I would think that we're done with Robles being viewed as like a legitimate, consistent starting piece moving forward. I would think that the idea now, especially with the drafting of Dylan Cruz, a center fielder, is Hey, Robles would make a great fourth outfielder. And obviously, if someone gets hurt or, you know, someone's not developing the way that you want, you could have you could go with Robles as a starter for a period of time. It's not the end of the world. But I don't know how at this point, if you're the Nats and you're planning long term, you know, Mike Rizzo always talks about the one year plan, the three year plan, the five year plan, how you could have Robles as a part of your three year plan or five year plan in terms of like a starter. Like, how are you in any reasonable way going to put him ahead of Cruz or Wood or, you know, even a hassle or an Elijah Green. Like, I just think the time has sort of passed on that. And I don't think that whatever he did well offensively over, you know, a handful of months this season makes up for what we saw from 2020 through 2022. I I think it's hard to erase that from your mind. And I think you could do a lot worse than Robles as a fourth outfielder. But I can't see at this point, especially with two guys who could be major league center fielders in Wood and Cruz, how you could justify in your mind saying, you know, we got to give Robles one more shot. You know, like I just, I think circumstances dictate that that's not going to happen anymore. Yeah. I think it was a slim chance, but the only chance of that happening was him playing all year or the majority of the season and playing to the level that he was before he got hurt. It was sort of like a last ditch attempt by him. And now given how little time he will be on the field this year, even if he comes back in September and hits 290 and gets on base and you know, doesn't make mental mistakes, it may be too late anyways for that because of who's still coming. I, he was going to have to really play well over the entirety of the season for it to even be a conversation. Now, they could bring him back. Like I said, it, you know, he's under contract. He's not making that much. And they understand he's the stopgap until one of the kids is ready. Maybe that will be the case. But like you're saying, time is pretty much up for him to reestablish himself to the point that they say, well, these other kids have to beat him out for the center field job. No, that's not going to be the case anymore. When one of those guys is ready, they're going to put him in center field regardless of Victor Robles' status. It's a funny thing with Robles because this is only his age 26 season. Like he is really young. He feels older because he made his debut in 2017. But like, no, he's still in his mid-20s. So he still could have a career. But I think, you know, the switch has flipped from 
you view him as a potential piece to now, I think you view him as being part of sort of this lost decade of Nats draft picks slash prospects who didn't pan out or didn't pan out the way that you wanted. Like, you know, Robles is with, you know, the Eric Fetties and the Carter Keybooms and the Seth Romero's, not to those degrees because Robles was not a complete bust, but he's no longer viewed as, well, maybe this guy could be a piece, you know, like with Keyboom. Nobody's talking about, well, you know, Carter Keyboom, how does he fit into this? Like, that's not a conversation anybody's having anymore. The team pretty clearly is moving on from Keyboom. He's still in the organization, but like, you're not making any plans with him as a piece moving forward. And I feel like we're maybe possibly getting to that point here with Robles. It's interesting with his numbers for this year. So the slash line, batting average 299, you like that. On base percentage 385, you like that. The slugging was at 364. He has a high Babbitt, but 360. So maybe some good luck. But there's no question, like he had been doing better offensively than we had seen in recent years. You know, the defense has been kind of up and down the last few years. That's something to look, you know, I don't know internally how they evaluate his defense. He was so good in 2019. feels like he's never quite gotten back to that level since then. But again, as a fourth outfielder, fine. You know, he kind of can go into that like Michael A. Taylor category of at one time you viewed him as maybe a piece, but then you hopefully get better to where you have others who are viewed more favorably as pieces. Right. And with Michael A. Taylor, remember the decision in the end was really, he was going through arbitration and was going to make too much for them to justify spending that on a backup outfielder. So Robles, there's a club option for next year. It's $3.3 million. If he's starting for you, that's, you know, you can justify that as a fourth outfielder. It's maybe a bit much, but they have so few guys who make any money anyways, that it's probably not outrageous to do that. So I could see him coming back and being their center fielder to begin the year if Cruz and Wood are not ready, but he's certainly not the long-term answer there. And they wouldn't hesitate to bump him from that spot once one of them was ready to go. But he's certainly in the Michael A. Taylor category of there are things he does well, and there is some value in that, but he's getting to a point where there's not enough to say, yeah, he's really a part of this long term. And the salary starts to climb to the extent you say, well, we can get that same kind of production for a lot less from somebody else. Yeah. One of the things in sports that I think is true far more often than it isn't is when you have a guy who initially showed some things and then he kind of falls off and you say, well, you know, but he showed some things. So we, we got to see as time goes on and whether he gets back to being that guy. Inevitably, he doesn't. Like, inevitably, he's kind of showing you what he actually truly is. Usually, if a young guy is really good, you see that sooner rather than later. But once you get into like year three, year four, and you're trying for the guy to recapture something that he had in year one, that usually doesn't happen. Like, that's usually not what he is. And so I think that's kind of where we are with Robles. Like, there is value. It's not like he's some horrendous player. You could have him moving forward, but he ain't like a guy to identify, uh, certainly to put ahead. Of, of again, I mean, two of the top five prospects in the sport now in Cruz and Wood. I mean, that's the thing. You're not saying, well, it's six and one half dozen in the other. You're saying two of the top five prospects in baseball are guys who can play center fielders and they are in this organization. And so that obviously makes things tough for Robles. The one reminder, though, at one time, Victor Robles was a top 10 prospect in baseball. We saw how that worked out. Yes, we want to believe that Dylan Cruz and James Wood are the real deal. There's every reason to believe they will be. But as we have seen, there's no guarantee until they do it at the major league level, you still in the back of your mind have to acknowledge it may not happen in one or both cases. Yes. One of the great sayings in baseball is prospects are suspects until proven otherwise. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show 
natchatpodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the program, we'd love to have you on board. Hit up Tim Shover, see what we can do for you. That email address, again, is natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Check out our website, natschatpodcast.com, at which you can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the music of the Nats Chat Podcast. Check out his site, timnewmark.com. Next up for the Nats, a four-game series at the New York Mets. Game one Thursday night at 7:10. Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. First offering is lined along the right field line. That's fair and hit it into the corner. In to dig it out is Frazier. Young is to third base. The Shields waving him around third. He's heading home. He scores. Wood to third with a sliding triple. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.